Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Undisrupted. Adam, I've had a lot of thoughts lately about this idea of teaching critical race theory, and I know we're a tech leaders podcast, but it does affect a lot of the things we do in schools. Uh, what's your thoughts uh, in, in general? Florida and Texas recently just passed laws saying we can't teach it. We're not supposed to talk about it. Um, I have wait before I get your thoughts. I have a little snippet of a song that made me think about this, and I was listening to uh, this little band called Rage Against the Machine. So I wanted to play just a snippet <laughs> of the song, and it's interesting how this lyric goes. So just take a listen. So who controls the past now controls the future, which is kind of an interesting theory. When you, mm -hmm. And that's their whole song, when you listen to the lyrics of all their stuff is always pretty kind of kind of like on point, but also kind of pokes you right in the face. So what are your thoughts, man? I mean, I know Georgia's going down the road of this maybe, or what, yeah. what, what are we doing? Yeah, we're going down the road of that because it's uh, re-election time. So everybody <laughs> has to try to take a stance on some kind of hot button topic. And this is the one that in, in uh, election laws. The, the biggest problem that I have right now with this is there are so many people who don't understand critical race theory um, and the depth of it. I mean, this when you really talk about understanding it, this is stuff that people write dissertations about. So this isn't something that we're teaching in kindergarten. But the problem that we're having is everyone is starting to lump any conversations about race as some type of critical race theory. And so it's becoming the conversation of we're not even going to talk about race and even bring it up is going to lump yourself into the controversial topic of critical race uh, theory. Yeah. Uh, and so that's really where I feel that we're trying to when I say we, I mean, here in Georgia and states that are having this conversation, they're trying to make it as this is horrible thing to even discuss the inequities that we know exist in our country that have existed in the country and the system that is currently at play where if we don't talk about it, if we don't make changes, we're going to, to the song's point, we're destined to repeat this, this these issues because you're going to have groups that are going to feel disenfranchised. They don't have access. Uh, their stories aren't being told. Uh, you have a whole generation that's just hearing about the Tulsa. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like this is a major event that happened in our country. And people are just hearing about it because of like TV shows like Watchmen and, you know, things of that nature, yeah. which is which is kind of crazy when you think about it. So how many more stories are untold because we are trying to lump this in this critical race theory that has nothing to do with some of these components that people are trying to lump in there when it is a conversation that we do need to have. I mean, next thing you know, you're going to be asking school tech directors to block it, you know, block CRT. I yeah, I do. I do wonder about that because, you know, we block objectionable content. We block stuff about guns sometimes. I mean, you know, even when you're having discussions about gun reform. So I wonder if that's if that's next. And I guess you're right. In some ways, it's become a like so many other things lately in our world, it's just like becomes a talking point. It's a thing that we have to wear, watch out for or fear or feel guilty about and not discuss when you think about, especially the fact that, you know, there's, you know, in Texas, they changed one of the textbooks to say, you know, instead of slavery, they weren't slaves that came over, they were workers, you know, they were workers that came over, uh, yeah, against their will, you know, and so for 400 years you have slavery. And then really for the last 150 years, you have quote unquote freedom of those slaves. But 
I mean, what is that? What's still happening to the with to the people that have been disenfranchised from all of this, and how are we overcoming it? And then also, I think it's just important to, if we really want to learn from our past, you know, we have to teach all parts of it. So, I don't think it. I I think it's becoming politicized probably more than it needs to be. I think it's more of like, hey guys, the his, history is kind of a nebulous thing. What you know, this is some things that some people did. What are your thoughts on it? But if we don't, if we leave out a whole section of it, then how are we ever going to learn? Uh, you know, as we get better in education. So. I'm going to bring in our guest on this one. So he's coming in, Phil, Phil Hintz, who we've known forever. Phil, go ahead and turn on your mic and camera. Bringing you on on a hot button topic, Phil. This is the director of student information at Barrington 220 in Chicago. Uh, Phil, what are your thoughts? I mean, what's Chicago. going on in Chicago? What is this? And there's a lot of, you know, we talk about a lot of racial stuff that's happened in Chicago. I mean, it gets brought up quite a bit. Um, it seems like in the elections and stuff. So what are your thoughts in terms of this? And then like your school particularly, is there anything being done about it or talked about it? Um, so, so say hi and then uh, give us your thoughts. Sure, well, thank you guys. Thanks for uh, allowing me to be on your show, your your coveted show here. This is awesome. Uh, appreciate that. Long overdue. Yes, very much so. <laughs> appreciate the opportunity, guys. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, is a, it is a hot button topic, I think, like you said, all over the country, even here in Chicago. And so we, um, you know, uh, we're, we're in my new role as in student information, it's interesting because I have to upload student information to our state student information system all the time. And, you know, it's interesting how they delineate races and, and then uh, identities uh, for students. Um, you know, you have your typical federal ones, but, but every state kind of has their, their own uh, that's unique to maybe tribes of that state as well. So it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of bizarre. Uh, and if you take that, critical race theory and you start applying it to all the races and all of the cultures. And I, I've always questioned about the aspect of, of uh, that when you when you look at our, our student information system, for example, and I'm, I'm looking that, you know, I you always have to answer the question, is it uh, are you Hispanic or Latino or not? But that's not a race, although you could be Hispanic as a race and also be Hispanic as a, as a Latino, which, um, you know, I'm kind of confused about because it, yeah. it seems like you have two designations that mean the same thing, but it's not the same thing, right? So uh, updating information, you, you, you know, you, you deal with that some, sometimes. And, and so I, I, it's hard to, to figure it out because you know, there's just there's designations for every student, you know, and there's different designations. And sometimes it's two of the same, and sometimes it's, one of the same and one that you would think it would should be but it's not right it's confusing it's yeah I often, I often wonder with those designations like what's the purpose of these designations you know what's the someone decided to come up with these designations and track them for for a reason um you know there is the reason that we tell people and they're you know not to be a conspiracy theorist you know i don't think that the vaccine is magnetic or anything but <laughs> well, but you know there, there's there's a, a there's the truth and then there's the behind the scenes truth on why we're tracking all this data and why we're using this subgroup versus this other subgroup well and even in our in our own student information system that we use we have to actually put down the race ethnicity determination, who did it? Who determined the race or ethnicity of the students? And in our case, you know, I'm looking at a student right now in our system and and uh, parent identified the, the race. Okay. But, but but who does that? Who, who does the determinations of that? <laughs> and what percentage? I mean, what point are you saying, you know, cause like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a quarter of 25% 
Hispanic because my grandmother's from Mexico. I'm a quarter Italian because my grandfather's from Sicily. I mean, I've got all sorts of different races inside of me. But so, would we put you down as multiracial at that point? I mean, I that's how I identify. But you know? uh, but some people would argue that I'm white, you know, and I am. So I mean, I guess I'm all of the above. But I'm always I always call myself a mutt. I'm kind of a mix of all types. But it also gives me a different perspective on what other pe you know people that have come from like my wife who comes from a very you know i guess not aryan that's not the right word but you know british <laughs> british irish kind of a completely white upbringing so i it's just interesting that i don't find myself in a label sometimes i try i end up just going with the default a lot of times or just saying other which is a just because you're right what happens with that data and who's determining it and and then so is race is race color or is color race i mean that's that's the other side mm -hmm. of it is where does color and race mix you know right so and then Adam, you know, you you and I were talking about this the other day, but and since Phil deals with this a lot, you know, do you want to ask him a little bit about the the idea behind? Well, digital learning this year is crazy because everybody was kind of online, and I know you deal with uh, with student information a lot. So um, Adam, you want to follow up with that? I, I, that's is an interesting yeah, discussion so, you're having. Yeah. So with this, we often well going to the end of the pandemic, you had like all these vendors giving away. Uh, 30 day trials or tr trials for the end of the school year. So all these products get out there now with the increase of ESSER funding to school systems, you're going to see more students connected, which is great. And you're also going to see more products being purchased by school systems. So with all that ha being said, what are some concerns or challenges do you see in protecting student data with this course influx of technology and now the influx of new digital resources? Sure. Well, in Illinois, we actually have a mandate that we're all working on right now. Um, by July 1st, which is in two weeks, you know, a couple of weeks away, um, we have to do, we have to, uh, the mandate's called SOPA or, or SAPA, some people pronounce it, it's Student um, Online Personal Protection Act. And Another so acronym. We, yeah, yeah, and so well, now the, the pronunciation, depending on which part of the state you live in, yeah, you know, sopa, sapa, yes, sopa, sapa, yeah. the sopa you cabana, know, yeah, because sopa sounds like 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 soup, right? I mean, uh, it's a, it is uh, it's Spanish for soup, right? In, but it's, in it's, in it's in that, so, but at any rate, um, that, that's been a mandate, and so that's requiring uh, every one of our districts. And it, there's some good things about it. The good thing is, is it's finally. Um, uh, brought the wild west of all the apps in the world out there to, into into uh, some sort of regulation to the point where uh, all districts have had to be accountable now as to what apps we use, what digital services we use, what web services we use, um, in particular, what web services and apps we use that we share data, uh, any data element, whether it's first name, last name, student name, uh, birth date, ID numbers, uh, if we share any piece of that data, we have to have them li uh, li those particular apps listed, and we have to sh show what data elements are actually being um, shared with that vendor. And then we have to go into a what we call a data privacy agreement uh, with that vendor. So every vendor that that we do share data with, um, we must have a data privacy agreement, and that's uh, about a 22-page document. Wow. Um, and now with you know, Adam, you brought up the fact that, you know, we're doing renewals right now with all the, the licensing. And, and so that just got, kind of goes hand in hand as, we're, as they're reaching out to us for more money for next year. Uh, we're reaching out back to them with, hey, you need to sign this data privacy agreement before we do more mm -hmm. business with you. And um, 
a lot of vendors and apps have been really good about it. There have been some that uh, have been, what are you talking about? I've never heard of such a thing. You know, I don't have a, I'm a small app company. I'm a small yes. app developer. I don't mm -hmm. have a, a, a legal department that could, that could handle this for us. And, and so uh, it's, it's so, if I can, Phil, I'm gonna go a little deeper on that because as you were having, talking about that, I, I was thinking, and, and Carl, you can maybe chime in on this one as well. Do you think that having these types of agreements may hinder some levels of creativity when you start talking about some of your smaller uh, vendors? Because we all know in this field, you, it's easy to move when you're smaller. You're more agile, you can think outside the box versus some of these larger companies. So. By having these agreements for districts, do you think it may limit some of the smaller companies from being innovative? You know, uh, I've heard almost the opposite of that question. How about our teachers? You know, um, yeah. because we asked our teachers, you know, 10 years ago when we started our one-to-one -one iPad initiatives, we said, hey, teachers, you know, be creative, find the right app for the right student at the right time. And, and uh, and we wanted them to find everything and you name it. And now we're having to tell teachers, well, sorry, you can't use that app unless we have a data privacy agreement with that company. So that means we have to go to those smaller vendors, Adam, like you mentioned, and, and say, look, either you come up and you sign, sign an agreement that you're going to support us if there's a, a data breach, uh, if and when that happens, um, or we can no longer do business with you anymore, we're sorry. And so I, I think it will hinder creativity on the developer side but also creativity in our classrooms in some ways. I remember when we were South by Southwest was here in Austin in 2014 and this little app called Kahoot was around and a lot of my teachers got wind of it and they were just getting started here in the States and they came back and they were just a flurry with it. You remember the Kahoot revolution that happened like that year and it would not have happened in our current model without something, without our school district being a little more efficient in terms of that onboarding and the vetting process. So I think for leaders out there listening to this, what is that process look like? And how can you take, make it less steps to kind of make it a little cleaner so that when a, new, when a teacher does come back and excited about something like, awesome, I love that you love that. Here's a little quick thing, make sure it's vetted out by them, they fill it out and maybe the vendors listening also are thinking, I need to have that document ready. And then of course now with our country the way it is, it's like, you're gonna have to have 50 documents ready because <laughs> there's 50 different states that all want their own document unless somehow magically we come up with a uniform solution kind of like, you know, we did with, um, what am I thinking of Phil? The one, the the, the, the single sign, the the rostering, uh, IMS Global, mm -hmm. like something like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's kind of where things are going, Carl. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the data privacy agreement that we have is is a the Illinois version of the national data privacy agreement, which is the NDPA, um, that uh, actually was started, I think, in California with CITE over there, C-I-T-E. Um, yeah, because they started uh, NWA, too, in California. Yeah, right. no, that's that testing site. No, that's NWEA. Oh, wait, yeah. I mean, oh, oh yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> One of those, you know, there's two I thought it was easy. E. <laughs> Straight yeah. out of testing, yeah. But they, they have kind of universalized uh, this national data privacy uh, agreement, and so we made it our own with Illinois. We put our own little Illinois stipulations in it. Of course, our attorneys all got involved, and they said, yeah, we, we need to add our two cents to it. And, and so I made the document from a couple of pages to 25 pages long, but we have to hand that out to every every uh, every vendor we deal business with. So to get back to your original question, um, we are starting to do kind of have a, a data privacy um, first culture, a culture of data privacy. Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that is 
we need to think that first before we think of, about a product of, uh, of its curricular value and the uh, academic value in, in our schools. We need to first think, um, have a privacy first culture basically and, and say, okay, where are they with privacy? If they're, if they're not where they need to be privacy and they're not gonna sign an agreement, I don't wanna get my teachers excited about this great new app until I, I, we have vetted them out from a privacy standpoint first before a curricular standpoint. I see a lot of teachers going uh, a little rogue, uh, as we always know, you know, we hit that paywall, open up that private Gmail account, we'll figure out a way to make this work just because, you know, and you want them to be excited about it. So almost you, you might have to figure out a way in your school districts out there to identify a group of, you know, innovative users or Vanguard teachers or whoever that you give a little more leniency to and say, listen, we want you to explore these, but also with the knowledge that you're saying, Phil, that privacy first angle. So when they get into it, they're like, all right, you guys are going to go out there and find stuff for us. And that's awesome. But also go through this lens because yes. as we get to professional learning this summer, you know, we've done a whole bunch of, we just onboarded a ton of stuff in the last year and a half, you know, uh, most of it, I feel like LMS heavy, but there's still a lot of other things that we have to do. So with this, with the summer approaching for a lot of us I mean, here in Texas, we've already started summer learning. I just did a few days of PD. Adam and I were at a professional learning event recently. What's the, what do you see as like a challenge in terms of teachers this year, more than any other year? Uh, of being just kind of like burned out on all of this. And then how do you overcome it? I mean, in terms of professional learning this summer, because this is really, as is traditional education, this is the time when we kind of bombard our teachers with all the new stuff that they have to learn. So what are you doing? What do you think, Phil? What are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I thought it was funny that uh, Tech and Learning put a, an article just the other day on on uh, five vacation tips for, for teachers, you know, and, and, and uh, discounts that they could find, right? And so I immediately sent that to my my daughter who's gonna who's about to be, she just learned oh, yeah. the first, First year, uh, first job. Uh, so she'll be teaching in the fall. Six Congrats grade. or condolences, either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> she's, she's in it now. She's in the Good. game now, Good. right? But uh, at any rate, you know, I, I said that to her. I said, "Hey, I said you don't need this right now, but you'll need it, you know, nine months from now or, or a year from now, basically." So, um, you know, it's it's getting. I think we need to we need to give the teachers a break in some ways. Is that's where I'm going with that vacation idea? Um, you know, and, and, you know, think of that whole on demand PD concept because um, they may not be demanding it right now, you know, <laughs> but, but there might be some time where they say, you know, yeah, now's the time I got some, I got a few moments to t finally take a breath. So maybe I'll take a look at a new app or a new, a new uh, tool out there, or, or maybe listen to a new podcast, like, like your guys' podcast and, 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 and you know, gather some information here. Yeah, undisrupted, exactly. <laughs> and maybe undisrupt or disrupt their, their summer vacation with some learning, you know? And so um, that that's one thing I would say is, is tread lightly this year, this summer, you know, at least this summer, because they had to do so much on the job training this year, no matter how many years of experience they've had as a teacher, or if they're a brand new teacher, like my, my daughter, she was doing student teaching this last year wow. in this crazy world environment. So she's equipped. She's going to be ready for anything that comes her way. If the next global pandemic comes along, she'll know exactly what to do. We all <laughs> will for the time. next, yes, next hundred years, you know. <laughs> yeah, because we had. Um, I mean, I've seen all kind of PD stuff that people have been pushing out this year. I think the oddest one I saw was PD while you pee pee. Um, <laughs> so you said that. You said that at Lubbock last week, and I was like, "What are you saying? Are you making this up, or is that a real?" No, literally in the bathroom. Okay, I, I'm guessing you know you I'm must be sitting man. down to do this. So, and the, if you're looking at, if you're standing up, they have a little piece of paper that's laminated that has some kind of 
tips, tech tips or something. Oh, okay. And then they also have it on the door. So if you're sitting down, you can see the little paper that's giving you the tip on how to do something in Canvas or Kahoot or whatever the case may be. So they call it PDYUPP. But my thing is, <laughs> at some point, I don't want any more PD, PL, whatever you want to call it. I mean, but, you know, let me, let, me ask you, let, me, let me ask you this, Phil, though, with kind of uh, piggybacking on that. So what uh, professional learning do you think was the most e effective professional learning that you were able to uh, take part of in your district this year? Um, you know, professional learning, but I would also venture into say um, uh, parental learning, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. we offered uh, in our school district, uh, we had a team that offered uh, parent university and, and it was all through Zoom and it was all taking, you know, showing some tips, showing the parents exactly the apps that we expect their students to be working in day in and day out, you know, not and, and maybe even some of the ins and outs of Zoom as, as well and how that works. So um, that goes hand in hand with the professional development that we do with our teachers, because if our teachers don't know, you know, if teachers don't understand that the parents might not understand, then that, that's kind of the professional development that we're doing with the teachers is to, is to make sure that they understand that you know, parents are, are kind of in the teaching mix uh, at home, you know, at least during this pandemic and during a hybrid uh, session. So uh, teaching uh, teachers how to be uh, empathetic of, of their parents, really, and, and of the students and of not just parents, but, but it could be grandparents and could be you know, a childcare worker at home helping uh, the students get through their classes. So it was a little bit of both of that. And that's what the parental, uh, parent university that we did uh, focused on is anybody that was, was in charge of helping educate the students while at home, uh, we wanted them to, to understand the tools that were there. Um, and then we also wanted to understand, we wanted our teachers to understand, um, you know, the, the empathy that was required. I, I say that all uh, to, to go to the next level and that is SEL, you know, um, uh, that was one thing that we really uh, hit home on with our teachers is, is, is uh, SEL education to the point where we uh, have given some on-demand tools for, for learning SEL and how to uh, find the warning signs and see the warning signs in their students while they were looking at them on a screen. So, and how to help them through it and how to get them to resources that they might need immediately. Yeah, so, so with that being said, I know you've been busy, and we all know once you leave the classroom, you're working all the time. But what is something that you're going to be doing this summer to recharge your batteries to keep yourself undisrupted? Undisrupted. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, believe it or not, I'm, I, I truly believe in the old uh, theory of lifelong learner, and uh, I am starting my dissertation in July. Wow. <laughs> am, oh, wow. Uh, I am uh, got two years left to go in, in my doctoral program, and I've been wanting to do that for a long, long time. Um, this new work opportunity has allowed me to, to have more time to do that, to focus on that and to understand some things. Um, you know, so I'm recharging by relearning and, and being back in, in that classroom in, in uh, an academic level as well. Um, you know, and then and then taking some time for retreat and, and having some good time with with some good friends. You know, uh, friends and family. I got to take advantage of that. Um, I'm really looking forward to some time with that. And 
so those are those are the two big things that I'm doing to, to recharge for next year. Um, what can I say? I love it. I do. I do notice that a lot of our tech leaders, uh, Adam, that we've interviewed, they have a lot of continuing education. I know you got your doctorate last year, and I think that's that's a good thing. I mean, we're always learning, right? And so he's Phil Hintz, everybody. You can find him at p h i n t z on Twitter. He's a trivia master. And Phil, may I just say, the hair's looking nice, my friend. For those of you that don't see the locks, Phil just uh, kicked the. I won't say the word out of cancer uh, recently. So we're glad to see you smiling. <laughs> With yes. a head of hair coming back, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and thank you, all those listeners out there. Be sure to subscribe and give us a review. We'd appreciate it. We might even give you a shout out on a future show. This has been the Undisrupted Podcast brought to you by Future Ready Schools. And he's Adam. You can follow him at Ask Adam 3 And he's Carl. And you can follow him at Mr. Hooker. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are better together. And we are better undisrupted. undisrupted. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Amazon Web Services.